Say hello, I am John Kane, and this is a special Indigenous Peoples Day edition of Resistance Radio. And I, I want to first thank Katia Stitt and the folks at uh, WFW for giving me an opportunity to, to come to you on this special day. You're probably not used to hearing me on a Monday, and certainly this Monday is a little special, and uh, we're going to talk about that. It's not easy to talk about Indigenous Peoples Day because of it being a shared holiday still, but, and we're going to get into, into a bunch of that. But again, let me start by thanking, again, WPFW for giving me the space and do a little bit of lifting for them. We are in a fall fund drive, and we do count on you to support this station and, and to a lesser extent, <laughs> support the programming uh, like mine that is on this station. So I ask that you go to... Uh, the, the pledge line for WPFW, which is 202-588-9739, or you can go online to wpfwdc.org slash donate. And you can make a contribution of any size. You can become a sustaining member. We do have a special Indigenous People's Day pack, if you will, that we're offering up as a premium for uh, for a donation of $100. And that is, again, the Indigenous People's Day Pack. It includes John Trudell, Dennis Banks, Russell Means, Winona LaDuke, in, in various recordings of their, their messaging. And, you know, many of those people, in fact, you know, John and Dennis and Russell, they passed away. So recordings of their, their voice, recordings of their messaging is all that's available today. Uh, and this is a special recording for a hundred dollar donation. We will happily send you this disc so you can hear these four uh, great voices uh, advancing uh, indigenous issues, indigenous rights, some cultural stuff as well mixed in. So again, for a hundred dollar donation, we would be happy to offer this Indigenous Peoples Day pack to you. And again, if you uh, you call the pledge line, you can request this specifically, or you can make a donation of any size. But again, if you call the pledge line, which is 202-588-9739, you can ask for the Indigenous Peoples Day pack. If you go online to wpfwdc.org slash donate, you can find this premium listed there as well. Again, it's... It's difficult for, you know, I don't know, what do, you, what do you say, Happy Indigenous Peoples Day? This is still a difficult holiday to celebrate, uh, per se, because it is a shared holiday. And it's a shared holiday with, with Christopher Columbus. It, is, it has been formerly known as, and it's still many places, known as Columbus Day. It is still celebrated in many places. It's still many school districts will list Columbus Day slash Indigenous Peoples Day on their school calendar. There are parades all over the United States. New York City in particular has one of the largest Columbus Day parades. It has not been diminished by the rise of Indigenous Peoples Day, even though uh, there's a certain level of competition, I guess, for claiming the day. Look, there are cities all over the United States, including this one, Washington, D.C., District of Columbia, that, that bear the, the name uh, associated with Christopher Columbus. There are cities all over the, the country, Columbus, Ohio. There are, there's a, an entire nation, Columbia, in, in, in South America. There's a Canadian province, British Columbia. There are, you know, counties and cities and rivers, the Columbia River. I mean, this, is, this name is almost omnipresent. But it wasn't always. I mean, uh, many of the, this celebration of Christopher Columbus is not something that was put out there 
you know, from the from the very beginnings. In fact, you know, Christopher Columbus, in in one of his fi final transatlantic voyages, would go back to Spain in chains. So he wasn't always celebrated. In fact, Italy, <laughs> and and let's let's be honest, Columbus Day has become essentially like an Italian Heritage Day, and he is probably the least likely candidate to be the the patron saint of of Italy or Italian Americans that there could be. I mean, there are many greater Italians, people who are more associated with Italy. Columbus was, was from Genoa. I mean, at, in 1492, Italy wasn't even a country. It was a landmass. It was, you know, the Italian peninsula. Uh, it was a, a, a land area, but it wasn't a country. So Christopher Columbus in no way, shape, or form represented Italy or Italians. And, and in fact, there was a distinction between places like Genoa, which is kind of less of the peninsula and more of the mainland of, uh, of Europe. There was, a, there was a distinction between those, the people of that area and others that would, might have been characterized as Italians. So, I mean, there's an irony that, that there was such a push to, to celebrate Christopher Columbus by Italian Americans as, as some sort of pushback to, to, frankly, to the bigotry and the, and the uh, discrimination that Italian Americans faced. Italy itself, the country of Italy itself, has only acknowledged the holiday since like 2004. I mean, it's, it's, it, that's how recent they've kind of ceded to the pressure, predominantly that, that comes from the church, because the church was, uh, was, was bound to Christopher Columbus, as was in, in the Western Hemisphere. I mean, the United States, Americans pushed this, this holiday more than anybody. But there's a reason that there has been pushback about celebrating Christopher Columbus. And the, the history is pretty clear. It's pretty well documented, even by Christopher Columbus himself and some of his own uh, journals that he kept. But his contemporaries, uh, Bartolome de las Casas, is one of the guys that, uh, that Howard Zinn relied on to tell the story of Christopher Columbus. There's, there, there's plenty of documentation on the horrors that Columbus and those who would come after him representing Spain, would, would perpetrate against indigenous peoples. I mean, Christopher Columbus, for all intents and purposes, was the first American tax man. I mean, he, he even before the indigenous population that, that he essentially dominated and oppressed would be forced into this perpetual servitude, slavery, he started by forcing them to pay him tributes of gold. So he was essentially taxing them for their very lives. They would, they would be given this, like a thimble, or they called it a bell or a thimble, uh, that they would have to fill with gold. And, if, and they would, then they would be lined up, and if they didn't have their thimble or their, their, uh, their, their brass uh, bell filled with, with gold, they would be punished, and, and sometimes severely punished by you know, having their, their hand severed or, or having other parts of their, their, their body cut or, or severed. And of course, if you cut somebody's hand off and you tied it and hung it around their neck, that was like a death sentence, and that, that person would, would bleed out. And so the, the punishment for not paying tax, paying tribute to Columbus, was, was oftentimes death. And, and, you know, and that worked for a while. But then they wanted more gold. I mean, Columbus's whole existence and, and his whole voyage was based on this avarice, this greed to try to 
to, to generate money. I mean, he wasn't a, dis, a brave discoverer. He wasn't a cartographer. He didn't make maps. This is a guy who was a merchant seaman. He sold this idea that he believed he could make a, a not even a faster necessarily, but a safer trade route to the Indies, to, the, to India and Indonesia, the, the lands that were considered east of the Indus River. And why would, why would you need a different route when you had the, you know, look, Italy itself was closer to India through the Mediterranean Sea and, 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 and such than, than Spain was, uh, Columbus himself, he was closer to India and Indonesia before he sailed from Spain. He went farther away, including when he reached the, the, what we call the Caribbean or what they tried to dub as the West Indies because they didn't want to acknowledge, fully acknowledge that his his voyage was a failure. It never reached the, the or, or achieved this, this trade routes that he was trying to. And why would he need this? Well, part of it is because Europeans had created such a terrible reputation that the, the, the inland navigational routes through the Mediterranean and, you know, and going through the Black Sea and some of these other areas were uh, unhospitable to them. They had created enemies. They were, they, it, was a, it was not a safe uh, trade route, either by land or by sea going that way. So they were hoping to find a way that could avoid having to go through the people that they had these terrible re relationships with. I mean, the whole idea of a trade route is something that you establish through, through peace and negotiation. But that's not what the Europeans were able to, uh, they weren't able to accomplish that. They, they tried to do everything by force, through colonization, through war, through massacres, through all that stuff. And when Columbus found a peaceful people that he honestly believed, and, and he took this to the grave, by the way, that the islands that he had reached were the, um, the easternmost uh, islands of, uh, of Indonesia, the Indies. He, he thought he reached the East Indies. He didn't know. And, and in fact, he went to his grave believing that that's what he had reached. He didn't know they'd reached an entire hemisphere, uh, uh, a landmass in, in the Western Hemisphere. He, he didn't even know that. I mean, so all of the myth about this discoverer and this, this, this bravery is, uh, is, is just that. It, it, it simply, it has been hyped up um, in, in such a way that it belies the truth. And, and of course, what Columbus's voyages did start was the beginning of what we call the fi a 500-year genocide that continues to this very day. <laughs> I mean, it's ironic that, that as I talk about Columbus being um, America's first tax man, that we would see violence throughout the centuries directly associated with the, with the effort to, to tax Native people. One of the biggest massacres that took place in, uh, in New York uh, was the Dutch massacre of the Lenape in, in Manhattan. And that was over taxation. And part of that thing was, was the Dutch trying to control trade routes, trying to control who could trade up and down the, the Hudson River, and, and including in, indigenous people. So in an effort to tax the Lenape, who refused to pay a tax to, on land that was theirs, um, it, it led to a, led to a major massacre in in the sixteen in the mid sixteen hundreds. There would be, I mean, bringing it up uh, to contemporary times, there were raids uh, on the Shinnecock and the and the Puspatuck on Long Island over taxation associated with tobacco. And and it's not just Native people who have been oppressed by this. I mean, look, 
the 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 murder of Eric Garner in in New York, uh, uh, Staten Island. That that was a direct result of Eric Garner's association with the sale of tax free cigarettes, selling just just individual cigarettes. I mean, it's not like he was he had some big bodega that was moving tons of untaxed cigarettes, but he was murdered over over this issue. I mean, th this is the role that that colonization and taxation has played on, on, on indigenous people and people of color since Columbus's time. So because it is a shared holiday, it makes it very, very difficult to just talk about indigenous people. I mean, like I said, even, even schools today are still teaching the, the Columbus narrative. Uh, I mean, we're, we're broadcasting from Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia. So how do you not have the conversation about Columbus when, you, when we are forced to share a holiday? And look, I don't know that we will ever get to a place where Columbus Day is abolished across the board. I mean, there, there's just too much of an affinity. I mean, there's, there are too many Italian-Americans that, that view this as their holiday that are in power. I mean, uh, the former governor of the state of New York, mayor of New York City, there have been a, a, a Italian Americans in in positions of power that will never let that happen. And you know what? It's not just Italian Americans. You know, a lot of the conversation about abolishing Columbus Day fits in with this uh, white supremacy narrative about replacement theory that white people are being replaced. Look, this is about telling the truth about Christopher Columbus and why it shouldn't be, why he shouldn't be celebrated, and why there shouldn't be a day that is celebrated in his honor. It's it's about truth. But you see, a lot of this, this conversation about replacement theory is that white people are somehow being being replaced by, by people of color. Well, to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day instead of Columbus Day, it it just it it makes sense. I'll I'll admit, I was less an advocate for Indigenous Peoples Day than I was an opponent to Columbus Day. But, you know, I, I think this idea that there's a holiday and it's well established, it's the first holiday of the of the school year for many, many kids in school, that makes it difficult to, to wipe that out. I mean, there are, there are states all over the United States that celebrate as a national holiday they, where the, the banks are closed and kids are off of school, people get off from work. I mean, I'm not saying every place does. You know, look, you get into the South in the United States and, you know, it's... <laughs> It's Easter, Christmas, and Fourth of July. I think those are the only holidays that some southern states even celebrate uh, with, with days off. But by and large, there are millions and millions of people. Look, and by some accounts, you could argue that there are billions of dollars of productivity that are lost because of this, because of a holiday celebrating a genocidal maniac. Now, you know, look, do we need to have you know, Indigenous Peoples Day off? Do banks need to be closed? Do, do kids have to get off of school? I mean, we could argue, we could argue that, I guess. I think the, the purpose of holidays is, has many purposes, put it that way. But, but the idea that we still have to share this holiday is still problematic. I mean, look, and especially to share it with, with Columbus. I mean, I hate to make analogies that, that sometimes make people squirm, but look, you wouldn't have a holiday or, or a day that somehow acknowledges Adolf Hitler shared with some sort of Holocaust remembrance. You wouldn't do it. I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. Yet here we are. Here indigenous people are faced with sharing this holiday. And oftentimes, you know, even in places that have abolished Columbus Day and don't use that name, 
it still it still hung around. I mean, like I said, you, you've got cities and counties and states and um, you know countries and rivers and all kinds of stuff that are named after them. So it's it's omnipresent regardless. So we have to take it on. We've we've got to take on the Columbus narrative and we've got to correct it. And look, the history books have been printed and have been printing this crap for for decades about the Columbus narrative. That and it'll it'll take a long time before that stuff is taken out from in front of uh, of kids. You know, the whole 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue myth. I mean, all of that stuff. <clears throat> so we we have a we it's it's a big lift to replace Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day. So for us as Indigenous people, we have to acknowledge it. And look, it is hard to celebrate our existence when our existence is still met with so much resistance. I say that all the time, that our existence is the resistance. Because there is still a strong effort to assimilate Native people. And assimilation is genocide. Colonization is genocide. I mean, and there's no other way to break it down. But if you're trying to, to make a people um, no longer exist as a distinct population because you're trying to force them, force American citizenship on them, force American taxation on them, force um, you know, jurisdictional uh, controls over our lands on us, that's still genocide, folks. And look, we are constantly plagued, not just by states trying to enforce cigarette tax, but we're in a constant battle with the, with the federal government over, over in, federal income tax. We have Native people all over this country living on lands, uh, earning their, their incomes on, their, on, on sovereign territories that are in a constant battle with the IRS overpaying, uh, overpaying income tax. And frankly, there's no legal basis for Native people to pay the federal government income tax. I mean, here's, here's what I think is really crazy. Think about this. There are people who serve in native governments. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this program from the Seneca Nation territory of Cattaraugus. There are Seneca Nation elected officials who, um, when elected, have a paid position where they have to pay, again, according to the IRS, they must pay federal income tax on the money that they generate as elected officials for the Seneca Nation. I mean, think about that. You have to, you have to pay another government, one that you're often, too, too often in some sort of pitted controversy with, conflict with. You have to pay the, the United States government a portion of your income that you generate in the service of your own people on your own land as an elected official. I mean, it, it's absurd. <clears throat> this is the battle that we still have, and it still rages on. And, you know, so we have... We have businesses on our lands that oftentimes are in a constant struggle with state taxing authorities and federal taxing authorities. I mean, it still exists today. And, you know, and I hate to reduce it down to, to dollars and cents, but let's be honest. Columbus's voyage was over dollars and cents. The uh, slavery was over money. The, the stealing of Native lands and, commit, and the, uh, you know, the committing genocide against Native people was all over money. It was all over colonization. It was all over, you know, gaining capital. One of the ways that the United States would constantly bolster its, uh, its economy was taking new lands, expanding westward until they ran out of space. Then when they ran out of space, they, they, they went to Alaska. They went to Hawaii. They went, they went into um, uh, taking other lands, uh, territories like, like Puerto Rico and um, you know, the, the islands of the South Pacific. I mean, 
<clears throat> that is just the, the nature of things. All right, so in case you're joining me late and you're wondering why am I listening to John Kane on a Monday on WPFW, this is a special Indigenous Peoples Day edition of Resistance Radio. I am grateful to WPFW for giving me the space and uh, giving me the, the opportunity to speak on this day that is oftentimes difficult to call a celebration as much of a, as a solemn remembrance because of what the Native struggle has been. But here we are on WPFW, Jazz and Justice Radio. Um, we are in a fall fund drive, so I want to remind people that, uh, that we do count on listener-supported uh, donations. Um, that's how this, this station exists. That's how all the Pacifica stations exist, including WBAI that I, that I do a program on in New York City. But we count on you, and we need you, so I'm, I'm asking you to go to the pledge lines. I'm asking you to go to, uh, to dial 202-588-9739. That's the pledge line for WPFW. And there you can make a donation of any size. You can, you can do a time donation. You can do, become a sustaining member by giving your credit card information or your, uh, or your checking account information. And, and you know, treat it like, a, uh, like, you know, like one of these streaming services that you, that you may already be subscribed to. It is, it is actually becoming a member of the station, not necessarily paying for a subscription. But if you want to treat it like, you know, it's a, your $15 a month, like you pay for Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever else, then, then so be it. You, you sign up with your, with, your, with your payment information, and it comes out every month. And that's something that we can count on. We can budget in. And it actually, the more sustaining members that we have for WPFW, it, it, it actually uh, decreases our dependency on fund drives because we don't have to raise those, um, those one-time donations as much when we have more sustaining members. So, so again, if you become a sustaining member, um, and if you do it in the name of this, this program, Resistance Radio, look, I, I greatly appreciate it. But we really need to keep WPFW on the air because that's the only way that, you know, guys like me can stay on the air. So, um, I, again, I ask you to, to go to the pledge line. That's 202-588-9739 or go online to WPFWDC. Pay no attention to what the C stands for. That's WPFWDC.org slash donate. Um, we do have a, uh, a, a special offering uh, associated with Indigenous Peoples Day throughout this fund drive, and that is uh, the Indigenous Peoples Day pack. And it is uh, the, the, the voice recordings of John Trudell, uh, Dennis Banks, uh, Russell Means, and Winona LeDuc. These are strong Native voices uh, representing you know, various territories, various, uh, you know, and, 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 and various issues. So... Um, three of those, I mean, John Trudell, uh, Dennis Banks and Russell Means have passed away. So these recordings are, are essentially pieces of history. Um, Wynonna LeDuc is still, uh, is still a public speaker, still a public advocate, but though, but the, but those three men are no longer with us. So this is your ne your unique opportunity to have, um, these recordings, um, uh, to own these recordings and, and to, to have, these voices available to you. And for $100, we'd be happy to send you the, um, um, the compact disc with, uh, with these recordings on it. Again, it's the Indigenous People's Day Pack. As you uh, make that call to our pledge line, you can ask for it specifically. You can look, look it up online when you go to wpfwdc.org slash donate. 
And again, the pledge line once again is uh, 202-588-9739. And again, if you are joining us late, this I am John Kane. I am the host of Resistance Radio, and this is a special Indigenous Peoples Day edition of Resistance Radio. And, you know, look, we, we have to talk um, and, and provide some tough truths to the myth of Columbus, the narrative that everybody has been taught. And we can't, we, it's hard to talk about Indigenous people without talking about the history. And, you know, one of the things that, that I often have, to, have times have to remind people is that, uh, is that Christopher Columbus was actually uh, among the first transatlantic, transatlantic slave traders. His, the first uh, vessel to cross the Atlantic wasn't bringing African slaves to, uh, to the Western Hemisphere. It was, it was bringing native slaves, enslaved native people, including little girls. And this is documented by Columbus's own hand, by the way. So this isn't just Howard Zinn making this stuff up. But the, one of the first slave ships uh, was bringing indigenous people back to Spain for, and, uh, and look, enslaved little girls, it doesn't take a wild imagination to, uh, to think about what those, uh, what those little girls were being used for. And Columbus, in his journals, made special notation about the popularity and, and what was, uh, you know, the profitability associated with bringing little girls back to Spain. So, I mean, this is among the horrific things that Columbus was responsible for. I talked about Columbus being a tax man because he, he literally made uh, individual uh, Native people pay a tribute to him on, you know, on, I don't know if it was a daily or a weekly basis, but, and if they didn't fill a thimble full of gold, and it may not have been a lot, but gold was a very, very, very valuable commodity, especially to Europeans, right? If they didn't fill that thimble, they would be punished, severely punished. They would be, uh, they'd, they'd be mutilated. They'd have their hands cut off, and, which would mean they would bleed to death. Look, I want to mention something here. There is a, a very good film, um, although it's a Spanish-language film with subtitles, so, um, so you, if you get a chance to get this film, and it's called Even the Rain, and uh, it, it is really a terrific film. Um, it's a film about making a film about Columbus. It's still a, a, you know, a, a dramatic piece. It's not a documentary or anything. Um, but it really illustrates not only what Columbus's behavior were, was in 1492 and, and, and after, but it also talks about the, the lingering effects of racism and colonization on an indigenous population. It is a terrific film, and, and I think it, it provides some great factual data, um, but also just a, a, it's, a, it's a great story. Um, so I, I would encourage if you if you haven't had a chance to see this film, um, it, to, to get a copy of it and watch it several times. And again, if you don't speak Spanish, you're going to rely on subtitles. So sometimes you have to you know, watch it several times so you don't miss what's on the screen as you're reading, you know, reading the dialogue. So um, it is a, you know, and of course, if, you, if you've watched films with subtitles, you know what I'm talking about here. Um, I would, I would strongly advise if you do get a chance to watch this film, and I don't know, I'm sure you can pull it up on one of the streaming services, Netflix or whatever. Um, I have a, a, you know, a copy of it myself. I've actually screened this film several times in New York City and, and, uh, and other places. And um, it's, again, powerful film. It, it, it really sets the, the, it's the origin story of, the, of European contact, essentially, uh, and the lingering effects of it. It talks about 
native resistance then and today. Uh, it, it is, again, it's a terrific story. It's one of the best films that I could recommend um, to anybody who wants to learn a little bit about Columbus, Columbus Day, Indigenous Peoples Day, all of it. It is, um, it is a great film for that purpose. So uh, again, Even the Rain, uh, a great film. I recommend it highly. And, and, and I would also recommend that if you can, watch it with somebody who speaks Spanish. So some of the nuances that you may not pick up reading subtitles, you may be able to get from, uh, you know, from, from somebody who's partnered with you to watch the film. So um, again, recommend it very, very highly. Um, this, uh, trying to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day is, is sometimes very difficult because of the, the struggles that we, um, we continue to be, uh, you know, be experiencing. On my, on my last, uh, uh, my show from last Friday, I talked about how much I don't think people fully embrace or understand the, the depth, uh, the scope, the scale of what Native people experienced through 150 years of residential schools slash boarding schools that were paid, that was paid for by the federal government, both the U.S. and Canada, and they were run by the churches. You know, because one of the things that I don't think we, even as we talk about things like truth and reconciliation, what we don't own, and, and when I say Native people don't own it, but nor does, do the, does the Canadian or federal government, the U.S. federal government own, the fact that they can boast that, that those residential schools were tremendously successful. And they were. Our populations were diminished. Our family ties were severed. We had, you know, the, our names were taken away. Our ability to even track our family lineage was, uh, was erased. It was wiped out by, by five generations of these schools. And no other people have experienced this except for indigenous people. And, and indigenous people did experience it in Africa and Australia and in South America. And of course, when I talk about indigenous people experiencing this at the hands of the United States, I'm including you know, Alaska Natives and, and Hawaiian people as well, because these schools existed in all, in all of these areas. And, and I almost hesitate to call them schools because there wasn't education. This was, the, the, the policy of these things was kill the Indian, save the man. But there wasn't a whole lot of saving going on here. The deaths associated with these schools, the mortality rate was sometimes in excess of 50%. That meant that 50% of the people, the, 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 the kids, the students, these children died at these schools. And of course, the, the mortality rate was higher during you know, tuberculosis epidemics or the, the Spanish flu. But the mortality rate was high even in the absence of these, of these plagues, so to speak. So, you know, to, to celebrate indigenous people, it actually is, is a celebration of resilience. Because we are still here. The fact that, that I can even have these conversations on WPFW or uh, in any sp other speaking engagement, my podcast, and I, and I do encourage people to, to check. This show goes up as a podcast, but so does my other podcast, which is Let's Talk Native. And the fact that I'm still here able to do this stuff is a testimonial, not just to my personal resiliency, but to the resiliency of, of Native people. And you know, I say the same thing about any people who, have, who had to withstand um, oppression, black people, you know, uh, brown people from wherever they're from. 
But for, for Native people, there is a distinction. Because much of what we're fighting for, when I, when I talk about our existence, I mean our existence as Indigenous people, as a people who have not completely caved in, although we've certainly been affected by colonization. We haven't, we haven't caved into it. Many of us fight for sovereignty. When I talk about our fight over taxation, it's because we don't feel that, that, that they have a right to tax us. We never gave that right to them. We never gave our lands away. They, we were defrauded out of lands. And, and to those who think that this is just about, well, to the victor goes the spoils, most Native people were never at war with the United States. Most of the, of the land sessions, if you, if you can even call them that, were done through fraud. There were promises made that were never fulfilled. And, and, and those promises range from everything from health care to, uh, to being provided um, health, education, and welfare in general. That is never, look, for me to get treated at the clinic here at the Seneca Nation, they want me to, to apply for, uh, for Medicare. I mean, that's, I mean, they, they run that through the state um, uh, welfare system. It isn't the federal government fulfilling its, uh, fulfilling its promise. We, you know, many of our territories were vast enough that sustaining our lifestyles was, was entirely possible until, until those lands were, were seized or, or that we were defrauded of those lands. So we became not only dependent on the promises that were made to provide food and certain sustenance, but also we became dependent on the very system that brought forth colonialism, which is, which is capitalism. And as we entered these, uh, th this area, as we carved out uh, a, a space within the tobacco business, which was ours originally, <laughs> it was one of our trade goods, as we, carved out, we, we get met with resistance. As we pushed gaming on our territories as something that we could offer as a unique product to the, to the general population, we, we fight, we have New York State fighting us over, over gaming revenue. Everything that we do, including now, the, one of the, uh, the big um, uh, things that's happening on native territories are, are cannabis dispensaries, sale of marijuana. Most states, many states have, have legalized recreational marijuana, so our people jump into that. Why? And why do we jump into the, controversy, the controversial uh, businesses? Well, I'll tell you why. Because if we don't have a large margin to play with, whether it's through you know, fuel, motor fuel, uh, tobacco products, gaming, or now cannabis, we can't survive. Why? Because we have people who are having their accounts seized by the IRS or by state officials on, on a fairly regular basis. So we have to act, actually only operate in these very high margin industries so we can withstand the legal challenges, so we can withstand the seizures of accounts or products and that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, that's what our existence is today. Now, I'm not talking about Columbus here. I'm talking about Kathy Hochul. I'm talking about, you know, uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo. I'm talking about, you know, Joe Biden and Barack Obama, Donald Trump. <laughs> I mean, this is what we, this is what our fight is today. So when I say genocide isn't just a term that we use for the past, that, that genocide continues, as long as I have to have a 45-minute debate with somebody, 
on how I'm not a U.S. citizen because I never accepted that? When I, when I have to talk to a, a congressperson uh, anywhere and say, look, no, I'm not in your district because I live on native territory. Well, yeah, but where's your native territory? It doesn't matter. You, you don't represent the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. When I have to, have to have that explanation and, and all I do is get this glossed over look on their eyes, whether I'm talking to the congressman or his staff, they simply don't understand that we could exist, that we could manage to exist today still and not be part, uh, not consider ourselves Americans, U.S. citizens or Canadians. I mean, that is something that most people can't wrap their heads around, especially from a political standpoint. I think the, the average American, the average Canadian can, can understand that, that we are fighting for a distinction. And that we are distinct. That Native people, we, we, have, we have a different existence. But it doesn't, it doesn't translate through, the, through that court system. It doesn't translate through legislation. And every time they try to pass a law that's supposed to address a Native issue, it becomes more and more oppressive. There are, there are laws on the books in the United States that are specifically geared towards Native people often and almost always taking something away. But even when they think that they're doing a law like the Indian Child Welfare Act, that didn't give us anything. It just took the, the, uh, the powers of, of the placement of Native children from the states and, and put it in the hands of the federal government. And then the federal government says, well, we're going to defer to you. But they never give that authority or acknowledge that we have the authority over our own children. And that's why you have states like Texas that are going to challenge ICWA, the Indian Child Welfare Act, because they're saying that's an overreach by the federal government taking away child placement from the states. See, they didn't ever say, well, we're acknowledging the sovereignty of Native peoples and Native territories to have um, some authority over, over the placement of their own children. No, they didn't do that. So when I hear people talk about things like critical race theory, which is supposed to be the intersection of, of law policy and, and practices of a, of a government, of a, of a dominant culture, and racism. I, I know critical race theory is oftentimes associated with, 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 with what the black um, experience has been. Well, I've got to tell you, the first people treated in a way that has become synonymous with, with, with black people were Native people. So when I hear somebody say, well, the first black people in, the, uh, in this hemisphere were Native people, they don't mean that we were black necessarily. It means that we were treated in such a way that the black existence and the, and the black plight began with ind the indigenous plight and, and still continues today. So, I mean, I, and I don't think that people fully understand that concept. All right. Uh, let me, again, um, because this is a... Um, not a normal time, uh, time slot for, for Resistance Radio. Let me again introduce myself. I am John Kane. I am the host of Resistance Radio, and this is a special Indigenous Peoples Day edition of Resistance Radio. I am grateful to WPFW for giving me the opportunity to have, to speak on Indigenous Peoples Day, especially because of the conflict associated with this idea of trying to replace Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day, especially in a city who bears some of the Columbus namesake, Washington, D.C., District of Columbia. So I'm grateful to WPFW for giving me this opportunity, but I also have to do some lifting. I've got, I've got to do the, the fundraising push. We are in our fall fund drive at WPFW. And look, we don't get taxpayer dollars 
we don't, we're not funded by the federal government or state government. We're not funded by, uh, by commercials. Uh, we don't have corporate sponsors. We have you, the listener. So we count on you. So we need you to hear our call for donations. And if you are already a donor, if you're a sustaining member and, and, you're, and you're giving 5 or $10 a month, maybe you can up that up another $5. Maybe you can go to $15 or $20 a month. Look, what we're providing is something that is unique. We're, we aren't a streaming service. We're on the radio, but you can listen to us online. You can ask your smart speaker to, to play WPFW. M many of our shows go up as podcasts. So our voices and our programs are out there for you to, to listen to in any number of ways. But we, must, we still have to maintain ourselves as a radio station in the meantime. We are not going to – I hope we never go to a time – that we abandon radio completely. Because what radio represents is, is broadcasting. That means we put our voices out there in the world. We aren't asking you necessarily. You don't have to subscribe to WPFW to listen. It's just the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do to make a donation to the station. If you listen to this, to this station, if you listen to this program uh, on, normally on, on Fridays, but on these special events, if you listen to, to Resistance Radio, I hope you'll make a donation. I hope you go to the pledge line, which is 202-588-9739. Or you will go online to wpfwdc.org slash donate. And you become a sustaining member. Be, make, or make a one-time donation. But I'll tell you, the more sustaining members that we have, the less frequent we need to do these, uh, frequently do we need to do these fund drives. Because if we know we have that money coming in every month through your credit card or your, your, your checking account, then we know that the money's there. We don't have to say, okay, we, we blew through those one-time donations uh, you know, this quarter. Now we need to go solicit more one-time donations. Look, I'm, we love the one-time donations. Don't get me wrong. But we really do encourage people. Look, it's, it's easier on you. At least we believe it is. If, if it's just coming out you know, $10 or $20 a month, than asking you to make a $200 donation or, you know, and look, this station is in Washington, D.C. We know that this is, the, these are where the, where the halls of power are, but there's also, these are where the halls of, of, of affluence are as well. So if you're an attorney or a legislator or a lobbyist, and, and if you've ever had to have any interaction with Native people, perhaps you were even paid by Native people as a lobbyist, or you've, you've received contributions uh, through your, your, your political action committees or whatever, give something back. Give something back to WPFW because they provide a space for an Indigenous voice. That's what I'm asking. Look, we are also offering a, uh, a special Indigenous People's Day pack. For a $100 donation, we will send you a, a, a CD, a compact disc, with the... Uh, with, with the you know, incredible um, voices of, of John Trudell, uh, Dennis Banks, Russell Means, and Winona LaDuke. And these guys have covered, you know, of, many of the same things that I talk about on a, on a weekly basis, they have covered in, you know, through, through their lives. And, you know, three of those, those, those people are no longer with us. So this is a bit of a, of a, of a, a historical um, recording. Because you will have their voices forever, even though they're no longer with us. So, again, if, you, if you're interested in this Indigenous People's Day pack, um, or, you know, if, look, if, you're, if you like making a donation, but you 
just want to get something, you know, specific in return, then, then here it is. Make a $100 donation and we'll send you the Indigenous People's Day pack uh, from WPFW Jazz and Justice Radio. All right. Um, I do very much appreciate the opportunity to speak on these issues. And, 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 and look, I do this show every week and I talk about a range of issues. Sometimes I have to come back. Sometimes I got to revisit. I got to plow old earth, so to speak. I've got to, you know, I, I, I'm not going to just mention res residential schools one time and then move on to another subject. But I have to say, we're, there's always something for us to, uh, to address. Our battles with, uh, with, you know, in, in, against the states as we try to develop economically on our territory. Look, the, the lands that we are on are like postage stamp size compared to our original um, ancestral lands. We have, we have been swindled and cheated and defrauded out of, uh, out of lands. We've had our population reduced. And more importantly, and, and this is when I, when I talk about the residential schools, I have to acknowledge that not only did, did this stripping of our children away from our communities make it easier to take land from us, but by changing our names, by eliminating our language, and, and, and oftentimes killing certain, uh, some native languages didn't survive this at all. Um, Mohawk and Seneca did, but many have not. Or if they have survived, they're barely hanging on. The number of native speakers that we have are, are perilously low. But all of this has had a, a tremendous effect on our autonomy and our distinction. You know, look, anybody can, can when they participate in the, these, these U.S. census every 10 years, anybody can claim to be native. And in fact, from 2010 to 2020, the number of people who identified in the U.S. census as indigenous uh, Native Americans would suggest that our population almost doubled. It went from like, you know, from uh, 5 million people claiming to be native in 2010 to 9 million people claiming to be native in 2020. And of course that's impossible. Our population didn't increase, but we are, I mean, for all those people who are concerned about replacement theory, that's replacement theory. Not only is our population reduction part of, you know, the, the, not replacement theory, replacement reality, but even, those, even when they, there's an attempt to count us or enumerate who, are, who is and isn't Native people, we're being replaced even within that group. There are more people who claim to be, and I'm not just picking on Elizabeth Warren or, you know, or, or anybody else who claims to have some family lore says, that says their grandmother was a Cherokee princess or, or whatever. The reality is there are, plot, there are likely many people in the United States who have some small amounts of Native ancestry. Why? <laughs> I'm going to tell you why. Because Native people were raped. There was a rape culture that came. Look, like I said, that first transatlantic uh, slave ship went from the Caribbean to Spain, bringing little girls to be sold to men in Spain. It doesn't take a genius to figure out what for. The rape culture that came with colonization plagued every territory that they went to. And in fact, Captain Cook who, uh, who sailed, uh, who, who first came upon Hawaii, was apprehensive to allow his men to go to the island. Why? Because he knew his men were so plagued with venereal diseases that if they went to those islands with the rape culture that 
that the the Brits had, you know, on that ship. And and, and look, these 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 um, seamen um, were usually of of all kinds of diverse European background. But he didn't want his men to go onto the island because he knew it would it would probably result in a in a twenty percent population reduction. He he did the math. Why and how did he know that? Well, I'll tell you how he knew it, because. This is a guy who had sailed to many places before. He knew what his men did, raping women and, and spreading venereal disease to people who didn't have the resistance built up to these, uh, to these European diseases. And these venereal diseases were European diseases. <laughs> Make no mistake about it. So the fact that Native people had to endure this rape culture, the fact that, 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 um, that Black people had to endure this, this rape culture, and the fact that, that again, slave populations or, or the enslaved Africans who were brought to, uh, to North America were oftentimes uh, enslaved with Native women. So, I mean, they didn't, they didn't want to bring Native or Black women from, from, uh, from Africa so much. They wanted the workforce. So they brought men, knowing that they could breed them with Native women when they got here. So, yeah, there's, a, there's probably a significant number of black people who have native ancestry. Look, we shared in the plight together. And the other thing that is a matter of fact is many slave states refused to allow a native person to identify themselves as a native person. They said, nope, you're either black or you're white. So by the power of the pen, by enumerating the, the American population, they could say, nope, you don't exist as a native person anymore. I mean, they didn't have to kill us. They just said, no, you're black now. Even if we didn't have any uh, black ancestry. And, and of course, there was, a, there was a lot of race mixing between uh, native people and, uh, uh, and, and formerly enslaved Africans. I mean, that, that did, did exist. But there was also the rape culture of Europeans. I mean, Thomas Jefferson, in spite of th this notion of white supremacy, <laughs> these white supremacist males had no problem um, raping and having sex with uh, with people who they thought were were beneath them, not just physically beneath them, but uh, but uh, from a uh, intellectually beneath them, uh, genetically beneath them. So that's how certain parts of uh, you know the broader public can make these claims. Any, and I'll tell you, anytime I hear somebody say, "Well, my great 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 grandmother was a Cherokee princess," I says, "Well." So did your great, great, great grandfather just rape a native woman? And, and I think that's a legitimate question to ask, although it sounds pretty like a pretty terrible thing to say. But that's, that's what the rape culture brought with colonization to, uh, to native people and to, and to uh, people of color. That's what it brought. So while I want to celebrate native culture, native resiliency, it is really difficult because we're still in a major state of conflict all the time. Not just over things like Columbus Day, but we're in a state of constant conflict with state governments, with, with federal governments, with, with the church, with, with policymakers, with, with you know, the corporate USA. I mean, many, many of our fights are with oil industries trying to put pipelines through our territories, the Standing Rock. That was that wasn't just a government. That was that was the a private sector industry that we had to fight. That was that had the support of state government, had the support of county sheriffs and and, and federal authorities. 
that's that's where our conflicts come from. I mean, the 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 attack and the invasion of the Black Hills was chasing gold. And it was pushed by the private sector. It wasn't just the, the federal government. Yes, they used the military to commit these massacres against Native people. But that was driven by, by, by the greed of, of white businessmen. So this is what we're in a constant struggle with. I mean, look, when Native people got involved in gaming, it was Donald Trump who went before congressional hearings and said, well, they don't look Indian to me, as if he somehow is the judge of somebody's uh, Native ancestry. This is what we endure. So while I have to celebrate our resiliency and, and, our, and our ability to endure all this stuff, I can't get away from talking about what it is that we have to endure and how that history from, from, the, from the first person that, that Columbus grabbed gold from in the Caribbean island to, to my friends today that are still having their tax fights with the IRS. From the first person who was killed for not submitting to Christopher Columbus, to the, to the Lenape who were killed for not submitting to the Dutch, to, to, to our people who are still fail, uh, refusing to, to melt into American society. And look, you know, I, I have to say this, I'm, I'm, you know, I got to talk out of both sides of my face on this one, because I know that Native people have been assimilated. I think that there's probably the majority of Native people embrace American citizenship or Canadian citizenship, but there's still an awful lot of us who don't. There's probably the majority of Native people have succumbed to this, to Native or to, or to Christianity. Why? Because 150 years of forcing it upon our, our people, but not all of us do. So our, our fight continues. You know, and, and anybody who, who's ever come to know me, they realize that as serious as I am over these issues and as angry as I am over some of these issues, I am not an angry human being. Look, I'm, I'm the grandfather of, of, of 10 grandchildren. I have, I have three children and 10 grandchildren. I am not an angry person. I've been married to my wife for over 40 years. So I am not living in a state of conflict on the home front. But I'm at, I'm at I'm constantly at odds with the forces of racism that Native people experience, and that is a racism that is denied. It is denied by the general public. It is denied by policymakers. It's denied by the media. That's why I'm so grateful to WPFW that allows me to come on to this station and talk about what Native people experience in terms of racism and oppression. And not just from a historical standpoint. Look, and there's plenty of history. I could, I could, I could grab any 10-year period since Christopher Columbus came you know, uh, across the Atlantic. I can grab any 10-year period and just concentrate on that 10 years. But the reality is, again, I, as, as per my last show when I talked about the, the scale of what the residential school era was, I mean, I, it's crazy for me as I tell people this, and I had this conversation with one of my grandsons just, just yesterday. Think about the fact that these residential schools existed from the Civil War through the Vietnam War, from Abraham Lincoln through Ronald Reagan. So while the Civil Rights Act was, uh, was passed and the Civil Rights Movement 
attempted to, you know, to, to square certain things uh, dealing with racism and discrimination, our children were still being ripped away from our homes. While women were fighting for equality and women's suffrage, our girls were still being uh, raped and abused in these schools. They were, they, uh, they were denied you know, um, for the freedoms of, of, a, of a person, let alone a, a woman. While you know, child protective services were, uh, were being developed in the United States, the laws against child labor, our, our children were being ripped away and forced to work in, in industries, work in the, in the fields. There were no labor law protections against native, the abuse of native children. So all of the progress that the United States will claim and make it sound like there's all these happy endings associated with, with some of the adversity that the United States experienced, that progress never came, came our way. Look, are Native people um, beginning to, to see some progress because of private sector development and and certain things that we've done in, in terms of in, in even gaming. I'm not a big fan of some of the, the industries that we've been forced to embrace as a way to, to lift ourselves up. But I can't deny that, that we have been able to lift ourselves up. And it's, and it's changed our lives. It's also changed the relationship we have with the dominant culture around us. Some worse, some better. So, yeah, on this Indigenous People's Day, I am grateful for both the time to talk about it but I, I want to wish everybody a, a happy Indigenous Peoples Day. I want to wish everybody, I, I want to, my one wish is that you will learn some of this stuff. You know, when I tell you to check out a movie like Even the Rain or, or I tell you to check out, you know, um, some of the voices on this, this CD that, the, uh, that WPFW is offering for a $100 donation, this uh, Indigenous Peoples Pack. Um, I, I just hope that you'll do it. I hope you'll listen to the program. I hope you'll talk about what you hear here. That's, that's, what, that's what my wish. So, again, happy to Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, support WPFW. The, the pledge line is 202-588-9739. Go online to wpfwdc.org slash donate. Support this station. And, uh, and thank you for listening. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. 